0: Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market from a very, very cold northeast of England. This is the podcast, as you know, that takes us inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Romanza Garland. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Tom Ross, who is president and CEO at Grand River aseptic manufacturing otherwise known as GRAM. Many of you in the sector will have heard of this uh, very reputable business, but not necessarily know the story behind the organisation. So in my interview today, I chat with Tom about the kind of the backstory of the business and how actually Tom was just a passive investor and he ended up becoming a ceo to run the business and and helping it turn around from a kind of a business that was struggling to get traction into one that was able to uh, you know really get some traction and move in the right direction is part of that discussion and any of you that have worked in a clinical supply business know that it is it's a tricky business in that sales tend to be quite lumpy so what a lot of businesses do is try to get some kind of forecastable long-term commercial revenues. And that's exactly what Tom did at Graham. And he talks about how that came about. The business is actually unbelievably fast growing. It's actually one of Inc. Magazine's fastest growing companies in the US. So I explore that with Tom in terms of what does that look like and what are the opportunities and how does that work from an operational perspective in the pain that comes with that. And you can hear his... Wisdom and experience just shine through. So such a calm, assured guy, and no, no surprise the success the business has had. One area that I really wanted to explore today, that I'm so glad that we got to do, um, is Graham was one of the key suppliers for the Johnson and Johnson vaccine in the U.S., and as a consequence of that. The company was very much involved in Operation Warp Speed whilst trying to build a couple of facilities at the same time. So Tom takes us inside of what that looked like and what it meant for the team and how they were able to pull that off and actually really become one of the key suppliers, a very reputable supplier that the US government actually uh, really rate to the point where as COVID vaccines have come down, they've been able to transition some of that capacity into the monkeypox vaccine, amongst other things. Those are just a couple of the highlights of today's episode because, honestly, he's absolutely um, full of, of wisdom and where it all comes from. And, you know, the challenge they've got now on their hands is because they're a very attractive business. Um, but I love his take on just focusing on, on doing the right thing. So for background, during his career, Tom has held senior executive roles at large publicly-held pharmaceutical company and leading small entrepreneurial organizations. He spent eight years at a Paregio Company, a multi-billion-dollar generic and OTC pharma company, where he served on the executive committee and led the financial team. He left the business to help set up the process, systems, and infrastructure of two smaller, high group companies, and also served as managing director at DWH LLC a consulting company focused on helping emerging businesses maximize value. He joined Graham in 2013, received, and received his bachelor's in accounting from Michigan State University and completed coursework for an MBA at the University of Miami. As president and CEO at Graham, Tom uses his extensive managerial and technical experience to create a culture where employees can maximize their performance. A skilled communicator, Tom helps develop teams to create compliant process and systems that deliver results to clients as always thanks to you yes you for listening to today's podcast and um, thank you as always to my team for helping me pull this together and bring this uh, informative and entertaining conversation to your ears as always if you can just go on the app store if you haven't already may this this be the day that you give us a rating and share with a colleague. And if you haven't picked up a copy of my book, The Floundering Founder, please do so on Amazon. And finally, we are putting loads of good resources and documents and trends and all that kind of good stuff on the Molecule to Market pod website. So head across if you're after any information from there. Beyond that, enjoy today's show. Mr. Tom Ross, welcome to Molecule to Market.
1: Thank you. It's uh, great to be here and uh, appreciate you inviting me and look forward to talking a little bit about, about uh, our company.
0: Well, looking forward to it as well. So let's let's start at the start. So I'd love you to tell the story of how you ended up in the life science space and how you ultimately ended up uh, in your role uh, running the, the team at Akram. Talk us through that story.
1: Sure. Well... I'm on what, uh, what is really, um, the company I'm at, is, it's called Grand River Aseptic Manufacturing. And we go by our acronym, which is G-R-A-M, so GRAM for short. And, and GRAM is a, uh, a sterile injectable uh, CDMO, Contract Development Manufacturing Organization. And I've been here, I was actually one of the original investors that bought the company about 12 years ago. And I've been in, in the current role of president and CEO for about 10 years. So what um, what got me into the pharma business is about 30 years ago, I joined a company called Parago Company, which was a large OTC and generic company. And I helped that company go from a, a smaller $300 million private company to a multi-billion dollar public company. And that was the uh, the background that led to to me making an investment in Graham and then led to, to me taking on the, the role of the CEO.
0: And if we rewind back a little bit, even before that, was was the life science space and the farming biotech space, was that just part of your DNA? Was that something you always fancied doing or was it a space that you ended up kind of growing into uh, throughout your career?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more something I just, uh, I, I didn't, Set out to be in a pharma space, but uh, you know one of the things that I've, I've always loved. Right, I started my career actually as a CPA, and I uh, quickly migrated from from the finance and accounting track into more of the, the business and business management, focusing on people and and helping teams of people grow and, and accomplish things. And um, and so that that lends itself to high growth type businesses and. When you look at all the different industries in uh, on a global basis and in the U.S. in particular, where we are domiciled, is that the pharma space is is exciting, it's growing, it's dynamic, and I think that was the kind of the combination of, of factors that led me to uh, to, to seek out a, a role in the in the pharma world.
0: So you actively went <laughs> looking for the high growth, yeah, uh, stable stable sectors, and you touched on it a little bit there around. You know, my understanding is you you joined uh, Graham in in 2013. What was what was? Did you join as the kind of CEO at the time, or was it uh, a different role that you came into? I suppose just to give our listeners, because my understanding is it's a private private equity backed business today, but be good to give our listener a bit of the kind of context of how you joined and I suppose how that all unfolded. Uh, you know, over the last ten years or so.
1: Yeah, well, my man, uh, the the background that I had, I you know, I was um, I was an investor in the company, and, uh, and to be candid, in the very beginning, it's a typical startup company where the um, the expenses were far in excess of sales, and the board knew of my background in helping Perigo become a very successful company, and uh, and asked me to get involved as I was an investor and I had the background. I wasn't necessarily looking for a a job here at Graham, but I was helping, basically helping save the company in the very beginning. And so um, the first couple of years I was just a passive investor, really was not involved with with Graham at all at that time. And the uh, the company was always really good at quality, really good at, at service. Just needed a little advice from a business perspective, and that's really my expertise. I've helped. Um, I've actually started up a few different businesses. I've uh, invested in a number of, of uh, up and coming businesses, and that that really led to my background fitting really what Graham Graham needed at that time. And in the very beginning, you know, we were focused primarily on on clinical work, and one of the things that when you're starting up a business that a lot of people don't understand it. In, in the pharma world, which is very regulated, the fixed cost of being in a regulated industry is very high. And so we were doing mostly clinical work at the time. And whether we're making one batch or 100 batches, it's uh, the cost of being able to do that in an FDA world is, is very high. And so one of the first things I had to do when I got involved on, as a CEO was really the transition from just being clinical, but clinical and commercial. And we still do that today, even to, uh, you know, 10 years after I, I took over. And the it's a, it's a great combination. So what was really significant at the time is we, we had to land a, a pretty major commercial account to be able to generate enough volume, enough revenue to cover our cost. And, and then once you do that, you start to get the traction. And once you get that traction, you can shift from a money-losing business to a break-even, and then you now are a sustainable business. And uh, with a sustainable business, you can focus on all the attributes that that make your company best. And for us, it was, again, the quality and the service, and probably the third one would be our, just our pure technical competency. So as a CEO, that was really my, my main goal was to stabilize the business and then help the organization understand what we need to be good at and, and I jokingly say, as a CEO, it's actually a, a pretty easy job because all you have to do is just pick a few things that you really want to excel at and just make sure everybody understands that. And so I think that was uh, critical to uh, us getting the growth, and our growth record is, is pretty fantastic. I certainly look forward to telling you a little bit more about that.
0: Well, we're going to come on to that in a few minutes, but... And, and I love what you, I mean I love
1: <laughs> the simplicity of people with
0: such experience like yourself in terms of uh, you know the way you said they're just picking a few key projects and making sure everyone understands it. it's such sage wise advice uh you know to not bite off more than you can chew and, and confuse people you talked about there which I, I found really interesting that kind of shift from clinical to commercial and I know it's something that a lot of CDMO companies have struggled with. So a lot of them, similar to yourself, get off on the, you know, they get started at that kind of small scale clinical batch size, but, you know, revenue tends to be quite lumpy because of the nature of the projects and the failure rates. When you when you were able to win that kind of big commercial project that gave you, I suspect, them, forecastability in terms of revenue some kind of long like a a longer runway in terms of cash how did you manage to do that because my my understanding and the experience i've had is sometimes you know big pharma companies and biotech companies don't want to choose a cdmo you know who hasn't got commercial experience like they don't want to be the guinea pig right if they're (laughs) their baby yeah you know so i'm just curious as to what was it was it just circumstantial in terms of the client, or was there something that you did, or something that you said that I'm sure some of our listeners would just find that very, very interesting?
1: Well, I, I tell you, what, man, it, it's a um, it's it's really interesting to reflect back on it because it was you know so many years ago, about ten years ago, that I was thinking through what we needed to do, and and the the challenge at the time is is the FDA is not going to come in if you're doing clinical batch so until you do a commercial badge, you're never going to be able to get FDA approval. And until you get FDA approval, you're never going to be able to grow your business. It, it's, it's really that basic. So we had to, to, to get a, a, a move away from the clinical and get a commercial account and get FDA approval. And so the first time we got FDA approval was actually back in 2013. And... Uh, And then we landed a a larger commercial account that we went live in 2015. And so in those first few years, we raised about $10 million of of cash through uh, a variety of, of, you know, we we were a classic startup where we had, you know, the friends and family and then the angel money and then moving into a smaller private equity, more of a venture capital type backed uh, investor. And and it was, the race was on could we make it to the finish line if you will before that 10 million ran out and we uh, we almost did <laughs> and then we had to do you know, another, another raid right at the end just but at that time we we had the, the level of success that we needed to sustain you know to stabilize and sustain the business but it really was uh, you know, emphasizing our, our strengths and, and quality um I'll go back and tell you a little bit of a, a story here. But in 2015, that was the year that it really started to change for us. We, our that year, our revenue tripled, our employee count doubled. So we had to take all these brand new people, train them up on on the high level of quality standards that we have. We commissioned a, a new finishing center. That was a 28,000 square foot building, and the best part is when the FDA came in, we had zero 43s. Wow. And so then if I fast forward it's a couple more years, in two thousand, the end of 2017 when the FDA came back, and we had zero 43s again. And uh, and we were in a spot where our track record from a quality side is exceptional, and it's hard to do in a sterile world. And so the that continued focus right from the very beginning and making sure that the whole company understood why quality was important is is critical, and uh, and it continues today. I mean, just yesterday, I did three new employee orientations. So me, as the CEO, I meet with our employees soon after they start to emphasize how how critical the focus on quality is at our company, and it's uh, it's something I've done. Since COVID, I think I've done 35 of these sessions. They're usually, you know, six to 10 people each. And they hear right from the CEO, right from the start of their career at Graham, about why we need to focus on quality. And ultimately, it's all about the patients and patient safety. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a shot in somebody's arm. and It could be a son or daughter or brother, sister, wife, husband, parents, grandparents, whatever. And. And so we do a lot to educate our people on the work that we're doing and how important it is. And it starts really for me, almost on day one, talking how important quality is. And that's something that you know I started 10 years ago and I I literally did three of those sessions yesterday.
0: That's fantastic. And I was going to actually ask you about how you've nurtured a culture of quality, which it sounds like even the way you describe it and that kind of, tactical way of actually spending time with the new starters and talking about it and i suspect you repeat it again and again to make sure it's it's never lost and that just filters down the company which is a fantastic kind of learning and, and you started talking a bit about the growth the company has in in envisaged over the the last few years it is i suppose the business has got that track record both in clinical and commercial
1: it's a, a record um Excited to share a little bit of information on because you know, we have grown. Uh, it's just been amazing to see what we've been able to accomplish, and yeah, we're very proud of that. But the growth—I'll go back in the, even a 2015 timeframe. That's when it started, and and our uh, you know in, in 2017 we we uh, we were asked to submit our numbers to Inc. Magazine. They have uh, a thing called the fastest growing companies in the United States. And so we were uh, we were named one of the fastest growing, and wow, back then. And it's hard to make the list once, but we've been on that list now for six years in a row, wow, which is um, it's pretty incredible. But so the first time we were on that list, and and again, these are the fastest growing. So our three year growth rate, they measured that three year period, was seven hundred and eighty percent, wow, and then the next three year growth rate. Was seven hundred and thirteen percent, and so I jokingly say I had to kick some tail because people were slacking off. But that's <laughs> obviously a joke. But, um, but we were in a spot where we were growing so rapidly. The thing that was holding us back was the physical infrastructure. So as a uh, again as a CEO, you might want to make sure you have the right the right team, the right people, you have the right focus, the right vision, all those type of things. But you also need to have the right facilities and equipment, and that was what was holding us back. So that was five years ago. We went out and got some more capital, and uh, and started to build what uh, what's really become, you know, we believe one of the arguably the finest collection of facilities and and equipment in the CTmo base in the United States. And but it it, it goes back to that uh, yeah, again. That focus on quality and and. And then shifting to let's go get the the funding, the capital, to to uh, be ready to expand, and then having the courage to to do those expansions. And I can talk a little bit more about our our expansion plan. But but the growth that we've had to be able to do that for for six years in a row is, is pretty amazing, and a lot of it triggered um, back to a number of strategic decisions that have been made you know, along the way.
0: Well, it's, I mean, congratulations on the this the absolute epic pace of growth that you guys have experienced. And as someone that has literally written a book on the pain of growth, <laughs> um, talk me through how painful that growth is. So away from the focus on quality, and I suppose finding the funding to you know build further infrastructure to to keep up with demand. You know, someone that's run. Pretty fast-growing businesses, certainly not as fast as that. That is, you know, simply astounding levels of growth. It's not always rosy, you know. And you know, and it's someone that you know has had his business, you know, named fastest-growing company X, Y, and Z. There's often a lot of pain behind the numbers, and you know, it's not always rosy <laughs> as no. people think. So, so we should you know, give our listener a bit of an insight? Like, what do you not necessarily what you compromise on, but what what does that look like behind the scenes? Because is it is it a sense that you're always playing catch up? It's just, you know, you're never quite ahead of the curve. Um, even the culture, I imagine, the business and, and taking people on that journey as you're growing so quickly is also difficult. But I'd love you to give your perspective on that.
1: Yeah, it's an intriguing question because, you know, personally, I don't I don't feel any pain from the growth. I just find it incredibly exciting. You know, it, it's thrilling to me. To, to see the opportunities that we have and to be able to deliver and to do it at a level that very few can achieve. And I, I just find that, uh, you know, thrilling and exciting. So I, I, I really don't see the, the pain associated with that growth, but I, I understand the question. And I think if you ask our people that are, their schedules are shifting all the time while weekend can work and, and just, uh, it's a really high level of intensity. I'm sure um, they might give you a slightly different answer. Um, it, it, one of the my objectives and goals, of course, is to make sure that people see the growth and see the benefit of the growth and what we're accomplishing and what we're doing for patients, what we're doing for our customers, and uh, and have them be inspired to to want to commit at that level. So it, it's not painful, um, but our our the people that we we have at Graham are it's just an incredible collection of, of talented and dedicated uh, people that that see what we're trying to accomplish. And then, and so it's pretty intense that time. It, well, imagine that type of growth. And I'll give you one mighty example. When when COVID broke loose, um, Graham was uniquely positioned because we had the, all, I think, only new facility coming out of the United States at that time. And so we had planned on that facility lasting us at least five years. And then all of a sudden, COVID hits. We were led to a contract with us with Operation Workbeat, which led to us doing a lot of vaccines for Johnson & Johnson. And uh, once we landed that contract, we had to hire 150 people in about four months. We had a facility that we thought going to last us five years that literally went from 0% utilization to 100% Utilization overnight. We had to. Um, we had originally planned on combining our filling and finishing into one new building, and uh, and we we had to have the courage to say, "Well, this is, the world is different." So we ordered new equipment. We decided to take our brand new building and retrofit that to make it all filling. We also decided to take the parking lot out and expand the building. So it fills up a whole city block now. And um, and these are decisions that you know, we've invested probably between 150 and $200 million of capital into making these decisions. And uh, from a finishing perspective, we needed to go get a new facility. And so we identified a new facility. And I'll, I'll tell you just a quick little story about that. Because one of the things that that we can do at Graham we we are, we're very good and we can move quickly. So we are, our new filling center, the one that we did on the COVID vaccine, we originally set out to do that in two years. And in the farmer world, it's almost like a myth that something can be done on time and on budget. So we said, okay, that's not a myth. We're going to do it. And uh, so we set out to do that two years and, uh, and then when COVID broke loose, we were able to accelerate that a little bit. So we did from the time we broke ground to actually making vaccines in less than two years. Wow! And then our finishing center, which, you, know, you go back two and a half years ago, wasn't even an idea. Um, we had, it to, they had to pivot and make some, uh, some choices. And so we found a building, um, great building, great base over by the airport, which is good from a cold storage perspective with biologics. And uh, that's a 200,000 square foot facility that it was a um, what we call pole barn with basically an aluminum siding building with no very little in terms of HVAC. And and it literally had dirt floor. So in January of last year, I was standing there with our VP of that manages all the capital projects. And we were looking at design plans standing in what is now our lobby on a dirt floor. And we had, uh, um, in about six months, we had that building complete and, uh, concrete poured beautiful labeling, packaging, inspection rooms. And we had a, uh, separate clean room for way to dispense. And, and, uh, one of our larger clients came, came through and we asked them, you know, how, uh, how we did. And they actually said top three worldwide. Wow. And this is a company that knows. And I was, uh, yeah, we thought it's pretty nice, but still kind of blown away. That's a nice compliment, and uh, we've asked people about our our new our new again we got Phil and finish our new filling center. Yeah, we thought it was pretty nice, and and said that A plus plus. Now I, I can jokingly say I did well in school, but I didn't get A plus pluses. And so, you know that uh, that filling center actually was honored by by ISPE they do a facility of the year award. And, and we were uh, nominated and won that a couple of years ago. And the category was pretty cool because it was uh, special recognition COVID-19 impact and uh, for operational agility. And so operational agility and being able to respond was something that describes us extremely well. So to win that facility of the year award, I think was just an example of some of the things that we've been able to to pull together, do it quickly, and do it at an exceptionally high level.
0: You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Incredible achievements in such a short space of time. And just, I think for our listeners, you know, a lot of the podcast interviews we did were during covid actually Tom you know our first ever podcast I think episode was in April 2020 so a lot of the podcasts that we recorded were talking about covid and how we can get ourselves out of this mess and the role of the pharmaceutical sector but obviously you guys were part of operation warp speed so if you know without obviously breaking confidence of the US government to take us into the boardroom or what that was like, you know, being at the center of that in, you know, obviously ultimately leading to you guys producing my assumption would be millions of vaccines that, you know, help patients across the world in the U S but what was it like just being part of that project in doing something which was not only high profile, but it was just so, so important to the human race and being done at crazy space, you know, a pace. Obviously, given your focus on quality, I'm guessing it pushed you guys to the limit from <laughs> compromising that. So, yeah, I'd love your, love your thoughts on that. Yeah, you
1: know, thanks for, man, for for asking because it, it is something that is, is pretty special. And uh, I was just telling a story not that long ago where I remember the date very specifically. It was a Wednesday, March 11th. I remember talking to our head of HR that said, hey, this COVID thing seems like it's really really getting out of hand in Europe. We need to figure out what that might be. And and she said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll spend some time on it over the weekend, and we can took base on Monday. Well, by Friday, it was a Friday, March 13th, we were shutting the company down, and and, and most of the, the cities around the country were shut, shutting down. And so what we did at that time is, is uh, I made a decision and, and asked our board for permission to do this. And um, and they supported me, which was fantastic. But the decision was we told everybody to go home and be with your family, be safe. We'll uh, You'll get 100% of your salaries covered for the next three weeks, and we'll just figure this out. But just be just be safe, be with your family. And, and then I, I asked if anybody that could come in, that could we still, we're, you know, we're, we're a pharma company, so we're making making products, and these are important products we make, not just the COVID stuff. And uh, I said, if they could come in, they would get a 50% bonus on top of the 100% pay that they are already getting. And, uh, and we had a lot of people that, that wanted to serve, so to speak. And and then, uh, so we did that, and that kept, us, kept the lights on, if you will. And we were classified as a, as a critical business, and, but we didn't have a, uh, a contract with Workbeat at the time. We were just like every other company. And then when we, you know, BARDA, which is a group in the United States that um, oversees a lot of the pandemic response, uh, had been tracking you know what we were doing. We met with BARDA, and, and then, again, we had that contract. It was, now we were all on a mission to serve. I mean, this was to be able to impact the world and, and save literally millions of lives, is uh, is a story that you you tell your grandchildren about when you're reflecting on your career. So the you know, the old phrase about the mission has never been more clear. That was that was the case, and we were at the front lines. And you know we were you know, our ability to recruit was uh, was was actually worked out a lot better than I expected. The ability to recruit some talented people to come to Michigan and join our, our company, and we had a good. Track record and a good reputation, but the combination of that with with being on the front lines and, and saving lives was something that yeah, helped us from a recruiting perspective, and and it really helped everybody rally around the, the cause. And so that is um, you know presumably that's a once in a lifetime experience. And and as the CEO, being able to 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 help our our people understand what we're trying to accomplish and. And thanking them for the level of commitment and and just celebrating the successes that we had together, I think was was really an important part of of, of why we were able to respond. And if I could brag a, a little bit without you know talking about some others, but we you know we had uh, we had a, a four star general named General Perna, you know, thank us for um, being. The, the, the one CDMO that, that stayed in the green category throughout the whole COVID process. They look at it green, yellow, red, and they um, you know thanked us for our service to the country and and that I shared these stories with our employees and you know we were uh, we were happy to host the, the CEO of J and J made a lot of J and J vaccines. He and his wife and, and to celebrate with them the uh, good work that we did was with J&J. So they're just a litany of stories that are are unique. And to go through that and to be on the front lines and to do it well and to be rewarded, we do, we do good work. Once you do good work with the government, they come back to you. So that's led to us getting more more projects. You know, One of the things we're doing today, you may or may not know, but we're the only... Company in the uh, United States that are actually making the monkeypox, Mpox vaccine to date. And that way uh, that really came out of the good work that we did with uh, the COVID vaccines.
0: It's genuinely heartwarming. And I think we try to unlock quite a lot of issues and trends and challenges on this podcast. But it's always worth remembering the value. And the, it's actually the reason I started this podcast was to celebrate and you know and promote the value of what we do here in the outsourcing space so it's it's really beautiful to hear the work that you guys did and the impact that you had at speed on on people's lives and so you know huge congratulations to to your team and I was I mean it's funny you mentioned the monkeypox vaccine I suppose you know one of the things one of the I mean uh, a podcast I've just covered recently was was a kind of a a monologue of reflections on the last year or so. And one of the things that I talked about that's you know is is almost like my observations as I've interviewed so many guests is COVID just is not as much of a thing as it was two years ago, right? Or, you know, it was dominating our lives and then it's tailed off and everyone's well, many people are vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you guys deal with that where say the COVID vaccines presumably have been a big chunk of your business. Um, and obviously you mentioned the monkeypox vaccine, which is which is great news. Is there a bit of a COVID come down? Is there a bit of a, oh, we have to fill this volume in other places? Like, how does that work from, from your perspective? Because I can imagine that you go from, and just because I've seen across the industry, people going from huge volumes to, okay, we don't need as much of this anymore. Is it a case that just the volumes fall, or actually you're able to replace that with, for example, the monkey vo- monkeypox vaccine and other projects that are presumably coming through the pipeline, and that allow you to kind of not have a gap in in your capabilities and in capacity?
1: Yeah, that's a that's another great question. I, I it's you know I think it was inevitable that the COVID vaccine volume was going to come down. It's just a matter of when it would come down and at what rate. And, and how you manage all that. So we uh, you know, went from a situation where our, our facility was 100% used to do the, the COVID vaccine to, um, to be in a that situation. That's why we ordered those two new lines a couple of years ago. And, and so while we were working on the COVID vaccine, we are also retrofitting that facility while we were doing, that's a bit of a challenge, also not impacting current production. And so we have two a brand new high speed line, one is a like for like Boston Global and, and scan line, another is a more of a modular piece of equipment called a Variosis. So we actually tripled our our, uh, our capacity in that facility while we were doing the COVID vaccine. We opened that, that new finishing center over by by the airport and all that in it is gonna be anticipation of the future work once the COVID volume starts to come down. So you know, the impacts is, uh, is certainly not at the level of a COVID vaccine. It, it's, you know, we're excited and proud that we're in a, in a role to do that again and to respond as quickly as we have. Um, but our, our primary business is really biologic for um, for our clinical and commercial clients, many of which are a big pharma company. And uh, our focus is, is really to continue to do that. We happen to now have a competency of vaccine that we didn't have three, four years ago. So we're we're great at vaccines, and we're uh, we now have the ability to support government programs that we didn't have, you know, three or four years ago. We have a, a great relationship with with Johnson and Johnson, for instance, and and some of the notoriety that we have it put us in a spot where I think uh, we're a, a go-to source for for many big pharma companies, and so. We're, we're really on a spot where we knew we had to manage through a, a turn down on the COVID vaccine. But one of our challenges was we didn't, in the sales cycle, the life cycle, if you will, of when you, when you try to get out in front of a client or a customer, is a, it's a pretty long sales cycle. And with us not having visibility as to when the uh, facility would become available or or at least waiting till the new expansion was done. So we got that done just recently, in the last uh, in the last couple months, and so we've been able to commission those those new lines. We're also adding a phase three expansion, which is uh, is is ongoing now. We have a large eight head filler, which will handle some of the heavy heavy duty vaccine work in the future. But uh, so we got all that done now, and we've been aggressively selling our capacity to uh, you know, to the in the CDMO space to our, to our client base. So um, so it's, uh, it's, it's transitioning from just um, max campaigning and doing the same batches all over and over again to more of a normal work as a CDMO and supporting you know, biologics and clinical and commercial type account. And we do small molecules too, for that matter.
0: And I'm just I'm making lots of notes as we've been talking, Tom. If I look at your business, objectively you know sterile fill finish us base access to great talent in the biologic space big pharma clients vaccine capability clinical and commercial the green category with the government and core quality and fast growing you are the type of company that um every investment banker friend of mine is after (laughs) and every PE company i know is after so if, if you ever want me to take commission on introductions, firstly, I'm happy to do that um, for <laughs> deals. But you, you guys are, you guys, I know you're not in the shop window in the truest sense, and obviously, I want to respect the ownership of the business and all that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, you are such an attractive proposition for investors if, for all of the reasons I've mentioned there, not to mention, obviously, leadership team management and all the other good stuff that probably sits within the organization. How do you, how do you deal with that? Cause my assumption is you'll have people knocking on your door every day. Um, just to try and get a piece of what you guys are, are working on. Is that, is that a challenge? I'm sure it's kind of a good challenge in a sense, but presumably that gives you a different type of headache in terms of where you guys go in the next five to 10 years.
1: Yeah, that, it's, uh, it's, it's a situation where we do get a lot of interest in our company. You're absolutely right in that regard, and uh, you know, it, as you mentioned earlier, we are private equity backed, and anybody is owned by private equity. I mean, you're you're always for sale some at some point, point. and the that's just the candid reality of it. But we are we are extremely fortunate. That our our private equity backers, Arlington Capital, have been fantastic partner. Have uh, they've been able to support what we're trying to to do here, and, and and have the courage to invest a significant amount of money into into new facilities and equipment and, and people, and uh, and ultimately that's going to pay off significantly. And uh, so we're excited about about that possibility, um, but we we manage our business for you know for patients for our, for our customers to focus on quality almost irrespective of, of our shareholder base. So that, uh, I think somewhere down, down the line that will, that will change where, sure. you know, we're, we have a new shareholder group that's, uh, you know, potentially part of a, of a larger organization. Not, uh, not quite sure exactly where that's going to take us. And, but if we just keep focusing on, on all the things that we've done and done well, I think that will, will take care of itself. You know, we're, we're in a unique spot now where we, we have a significant amount of capacity, we have a great reputation, great quality record, and uh, and big pharma is coming is coming to ground. as well as biotech and and some smaller companies too. and And so, as we continue to build our company, diversify our, our client base, and uh, and emphasize biologics, um, we'll uh, we'll continue to create value. and and ultimately that value will be realized, but it's not something we, we fret about. It's Um, uh, you know, it's certainly there. Your question is very fair, uh, but it's not, uh, we did do everything else and will and kind of take care of it. Take care
0: of itself. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fantastic philosophy. And I think, you know, it's one that I subscribe to in, in the businesses I've run, which are always focused on looking after customers, looking after your people and the money and will follow. And I love what you said that the shareholder base may change. Um, one final question because I know we're almost out of time and genuinely Tom I think I could talk to you all day you you seem like a very wise lovely guy and I know we've had the pleasure of meeting briefly in Germany at CPHI as well which was wonderful. So if you could go back and give your 25 year your, your 25 year old self some advice what what would you say to him?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a, a really thoughtful question. Let me think. Um the the
0: reason I'm asking that question actually to, Tom is you know i i speaking to you and our listeners i will be listening to your story being kind of like this guy's this guy's not made any mistakes he's got he's 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 played an absolute perfect hand but i kind of want to give people a bit of an insight into you know you would have had to make some tough decisions and you might not have got everything right along the way and so just and i suppose and also for younger people listening just any Words of wisdom that you've got for you know if you reflect back on when you were in your twenties, yeah, um, that, that's that's kind of the context.
1: Yeah, I, I get it. I, I think it's really it is a, it's a great question because um, in, when I think about it, I, I what I'm what I'm drawn to is that I've I've always had just a just a certain confidence and belief that if you just if you just do the right thing, you you treat people the right way. I um, it's kind of a phrase I came up with, kind of a polite aggressiveness, if you will. And, um, and that's really, I was a bit of a dreamer, even when I was a, a teenager. And uh, I still remember my high school quote, believe it or not. That was a number of years ago. And that was, you know, hold fast to dreams, for dream die, life of a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. <laughs> and so I was always a dreamer. And uh, so the 25-year-old Tom... Was I was a dreamer. Um, I always had high aspirations, and I uh, always wanted to enjoy working with people, just enjoy life. And, uh, and I think if if you do those things and you focus on 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 positive energy, trying to to do the right things with the people you work with, the people that report up to you or that your bosses are, it's uh, and just have the faith that you're doing the right thing and. Don't be impatient. Um, just realize uh, to be confident in yourself, and and it's amazing. You know, it will it will take care of itself. And you know, and there's not you know, my career wasn't always perfect. You know, they, I found every now and then I was in a spot that I I wish I I uh, you know I, I you know, in the benefit of hindsight boy, I wish I'd done it a little bit differently. But every single position I had was always. You know, I enjoyed the people I work with. I got experiences out of that. So just just embrace what's in front of you. Just try to learn and grow and, and develop. You know, Enjoy the people you work with. And whether you're 25, 35, 55, or 65, those principles will um, will generally get you to where you, you want to be. And, um, and over a period of time, you stick around long enough, <laughs> you get to be the boss. It's kind of cool. <laughs> well, I'm sure everyone
0: in the gram team are very grateful for you being the boss because your leadership style is obviously super effective um, congratulations i'm genuinely so happy that i uh, you know i've met one of your colleagues at the pboa event and then that ended up us getting introduced and i'm so glad we've been able to bring your story and that of grams to to the podcast tom thanks thanks so much for your time
1: roman it's uh it's been Fantastic talking to you and uh, reflecting on what we've been able to do here. You know, thank you for letting us talk a little bit about Graham and and uh, really appreciate what you do on the podcast. So, thanks again.
0: Hi again! Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you would like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, MoleculeToMarketPod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. And we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise
1: profile and generate leads in life sciences.